there was a period where I had a decision to make, which was, do I keep panic trying things and seeing what sticks? Or do I not do anything? You know, I've been in business for about six or seven years. Um, this iteration of my business for about four. I just knew that I never make great decisions when I'm under stress. And so I really made the choice to not work until I knew what direction I was going in, which is an incredible luxury and an incredible privilege. What happens when the worst case scenario becomes reality? Every business owner I know has that nightmare that runs through the back of their head. What if it all just stops? What if no one needs my services and suddenly no one needs what I'm selling? What do I do then? I'm Susan Bowles and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. For a lot of business owners, this was the year where they had to figure out what the answers were to those questions. How do you manage that change? Do you shut down? Do you pivot? When everything stops, how do you decide what to do next? How do you actually get through that and lead your business through change or make the decision to close? Today, I'm talking to Lauren Caselli. Lauren was on the show back in March in episode 25. And I talked to her about cash flow planning in a crisis, right as the shutdown was really starting to take effect. And Lauren's event planning business was heavily affected. Lauren's been through massive change this year. So I wanted to bring her back on the show to talk about how she's been managing the impact on her business. We talk about processing grief as a business skill what she decided to do about her business and how her cash flow management skills gave her the time she needed to make strategic decisions instead of reacting out of panic. Hey, Lauren, thanks for coming back to the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here and so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. So the last time you were here was mid-March. It was just after everything really started happening with coronavirus and shutdowns. And we were talking about how you and your event business were reacting. And I know that you've made some major shifts in your business since then, but can you kind of Tell me what happened to your business after we talked. What's been happening for you this year? Yeah, totally. It's so fun to be six months out. I feel like if you had we had done this three months out, I would have been still in like the thick of uh, a lot of crying and not not sure. <laughs> um, so you know, I think over the last six months there has been sort of like a I would say a specific set of phases, and the first phase really was sort of this like denial that anything was going to change long term. Right? There was sort of this immediate and I had clients, you know, we talked in March and I had just come off of one of my big clients canceling uh, their large event. And for those of you who haven't listened to the past podcast, I primarily work with uh, tech companies. And so at the time, this was before like Twitter had announced that they were going remote. Um, but at the time that we chatted, it really was sort of seen as like a temporary yet devastating blow. Um, I had clients who had events in June and July who were still, we were still moving forward on those events, um, which is bizarre. So bizarre to think about. <laughs> I know um, now like <laughs> thinking back, I'm like, we were all kind of holding our breath thinking like, right. oh, this is a pause. We're going to do lockdown 
and then we'll go yeah, back. Right. And it's unfortunate in the short term. And then in a few months, it'll all be fine. And so that's sort of when we were speaking, that's where I was operating from. You know, I was I was working with a client. They canceled in sort of the immediate in March. The event was mid-March. Um, I was working on, you know, making sure that that contract was, you know, able, you know, they were, I think there was a lot of unknowns. And so we were working through the, the end of that contract because I couldn't deliver the event because they canceled it. Um, but in all intents, for all intents and purposes, I was like, oh man, this is going to be a brutal couple months. I'm going to have to like cancel some things, uh, and you know, not have my HelloFresh subscription anymore, but by <laughs> June we should be good. Right. And clearly that's not what happened. Uh, and so then, you know, as many business owners, I think, uh, particularly those, you know, I, I always thought that I had the best business, which was, um, online sometimes and in person sometimes. Um, and so while so many of my online business owner friends sort of saw a huge uptick in their businesses, um, it, all of my clients sort of just, you know, kept, you know, every week it was like a new client was like, hey, we're holding off on this. Hey, we're not starting um, the project until we get a little more clarity. And I would say by April, I was in like full-blown panic. Um, and I started doing what I think a lot of people did, which was panic selling. And I was like, <laughs> let me come up with a workshop. Yeah, like I can do this. I know how to do a work. Let me run this. Let me do an affiliate program. Let me uh, sell, uh, I, I don't even know what I did. I'll do a flash sale of a course that I had created specifically around you know sponsorships for events, which oddly was still selling well. I think people were maybe still in denial. I'm not quite sure. So there was this pretty significant period of panic from I would say the month of April into early May. Um, and then, uh, that was exhausting. And then <laughs> what ended up happening is I knew that the next iteration of my business was not, at that time, it was like Twitter had announced that they were working from home until July, 2021. Most big tech companies said that they, you know, South by Southwest had canceled. Most big tech companies said that they weren't, which was my client base, weren't going to be hosting in-person events um, until at least July, 2021, if not the end of 2021. And so there was, you know, the writing was on the wall. There was no way that I was going to be able to maintain my current client base. Um, and the sales process for an event client is long. It's a year, 18 months. And so um, it wasn't like I was going to be able to turn around and pick up a bunch of new clients in a, you know, virtually or something. Um, and also that's not where my heart was. And so I didn't want to go in the virtual event route. I didn't want to, you know, switch to try to do, you know, smaller workshops or things that were kind of able to happen with the new mandates of social distancing and whatnot. And so there was a period where I had a decision to make, which was, do I keep trying, keep panic trying things and seeing what sticks or do I not do anything? And as someone who has been, you know, I've been in business for about six years, six or seven years, um, this iteration of my business for about four, I just knew that um, I never make great decisions when I'm under stress. And so I really made the choice to not work until I knew what direction I was going in, which is an incredible luxury and an incredible privilege. But I consciously sat down one day and said, I won't, I'm not working anymore. This is not, you know, nothing's working. I'm making a few hundred dollars here and there. Um, I'd sat down with my bookkeeper and she had said, look, you have enough runway. I had, I'd been planning on hiring a project manager this year. And so she's like, well, if you're not hiring, you have enough runway to last you through October. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, so you mentioned that being able to not, not work or not react is coming from a place of privilege, but let's also be clear that you had been 
saving pretty significantly yeah. <laughs> to make sure that you had a really good cash cushion in your business for this exact for sure. scenario. Yeah, so totally. you had done a lot of work to make sure that you were in a place of privilege. Yeah. You know, especially after this year, I had always had a three month cash cushion in my business. That was something that was non-negotiable. After I started learning about business finances, that wasn't always a thing. Um, and now even this year, I'm like, oh, three months. Um, but yeah, so I had been planning on hiring someone this year, a project manager, and instead I didn't do that. And so <laughs> I essentially, you know, I sat down with my bookkeeper and she was like, look, if you don't do a single thing from now, from April until October, you, you can still pay yourself. Um, and, and she's like, and don't, you know, sign up for any, anything else. <laughs> she was like, basically just keep your expenses as they are, um, c continue paying yourself and you'll have, you know, money through October. And part of that was also my EIDL advance and the PPP loan. So I was very lucky to get both of those things, um, quite early because in events, you know, I was not someone who was like, let's wait and see. I was like, no, my business is very severely impacted. So I would say acting quickly on those, um, two programs was, was definitely a great benefit for me. Um, so yeah, so I uh, I don't remember what the original question was, but I had a big cash cushion, which um, made the ability to not work uh, and also having a great bookkeeper who helped me do that projection uh, was essential to me being able to, I mean, I didn't like it, but it was essential for me to be able to evaluate the situation as it was, understand that from my own experience, like you, I can't, I couldn't like, you know, it was like a finger trap, you know, I couldn't struggle against what I was going through. I really just needed to stop and evaluate and wait until, until I knew where to go next. And that uh, is what I did. And I think, I think that, so one, the reason you have cash cushions is for exactly that reason, because nobody can make a place like nobody can be making good decisions from that place of panic. You know, when you are panicking and dealing with crisis, nobody is going to make good decisions. And so having a cash cushion is essential to be able to give yourself time to process and think strategically. And I think one of the hardest things to do is to say, I'm going to step back and I'm going to be patient and I'm going to wait and see what the right decision is is for me. Yeah. And I think that's a really, when you are in like crisis reaction mode, I think that's probably one of the most difficult things to do. For sure. Totally. And it's definitely, it's a practice, right? And it was ag like, it felt almost agonizing to me. Like I would wake up in the morning and I would be like, what am I going to do today? And, um, you know, I read a lot. I read a lot of books and uh, I was doing a lot of kind of anti-racism work. And so I had, a you know, a ton of reading, <laughs> a ton of reading to be doing in, in my self-imposed work hiatus. Um, but it felt so indulgent. And so um, it was agonizing, right? Mm -hmm. um, to tell myself, like, this is part of the work. The part of the work is to not do anything. And this is a new challenge that I had, you know, never foresaw. And it's not the narrative in business, right? It's like, if you're not working, if you're not closing, you're not doing it right. And I was like, I just knew that I couldn't make any decisions um, that were well-informed uh, if I was focusing on panicking. Absolutely. So that kind of leads into my next question is that, you know, for you personally, 
I, I mean, I've been through a few major business sales and transitions that weren't necessarily financially great. Um, and they were super emotional. So I know how hard it can be to kind of process all of that. But for you personally, how did that all play out? How did you deal with that, deal with those emotions, that grief, that that's big stuff. Yeah, totally. That's such a good question. And I think it's really good to ask. And I do think that a lot of times, particularly in kind of business, we uh, we look for tactics and solutions and, um, you know, 10 steps to do something. And a lot of the work, a lot of this work is part action, but it's also part feeling. It's also part recognizing and affirming. And so um, on top of this, <laughs> uh, not only did I sort of lose and I didn't lose my income, my personal income, I was still paying myself a salary, uh, but my business income. And then my partner who had just started a brand new job in Portland, uh, Oregon, and I was planning on moving there in April, um, lost his, it was laid off three weeks after he started because of the pandemic. And so here we are, two people who are out of work <laughs> together in a two bedroom household, uh, which is, we're very lucky to do. And we you know live in Montana, so lots of wide open space, but um, who are going through really hard emotions, both together and also separately. You know, he was, he was grieving in his own way and I was grieving in my own way. Um, and what I knew from my past experience of dealing with going through hard things. Um, as a business owner, it is impossible not to have hard seasons. Um, I basically was like, I called in all the reinforcements. I, you know, made sure that my therapist, you know, she was personally doing virtual sessions. Um, I called our couples therapist and I was like, we need your help. You know, we don't know what we're doing and we are not communicating well, so we need your help uh, on this. Um, and then I said, then I, you know, basically told myself, like, what would be the easiest thing for us to for us to do together in our relationship, but also for me to do so that I know that I could get back to work in a few months. Um, and part of that was really, you know, we, I live in the Mountain West. It's snowing nine months out of the year. And this all started happening in March. And then May was when kind of, it, you know, again, it got very, very real. And it was starting to be beautiful here. And I basically said, look, I'm going to enjoy every second of this summer. Um, and whatever that means, uh, I'm going to find joy and find pleasure and focus on that. And if I, if I do that by the end of the year, I will mark it as a success, right? And so I got help, which was our therapists. And I focused on doing things, only things that would be fun and pleasurable and exciting. And a lot of that was reading, spending time outside, walking, hiking. Um, and, uh, I, and there was uh, a lot of crying. There was a lot of grief. Um, but I had help to process it. You know, I think a lot of times when people go through grief, they stick it out or, you know, whatever. And it can last a lot longer than, you know, and again, there's no timeline on grief, but it can last a lot longer maybe than we expect it to because we uh, don't have the tools in our toolbox to deal with it alone and then don't ask for the help that we might need. And so I was very upfront with myself and my partner saying, I need help to be able to do this uh, in a way that's going to help me move through it faster than um, if I just tried to struggle with it alone. So mm. that's what I did. <laughs> No, I love that because I think especially when we're going, I agree with you, there is no way to not go through hard things as a business owner. You will have times where it's just really hard and it's really emotional right? and our instinct and our culture says like that we should just be saying, oh, everything's fine. Things are great. Things yeah. are so fabulous right yeah. now. And I think one of my maybe one of my favorite things about this whole 
pandemic thing has been a little bit lessening of that where it's like more socially okay now to be like hey i'm not okay things aren't great yeah and that that that's acceptable right. but i mean sometimes when you're going through these things the instinct is to just be really closed off about it and really it's it's just a challenge to kind of reconcile the stuff that's going on inside and the business owner that is being presented on the outside, I think sometimes. For sure, totally. And, you know, just like we all have systems of, you know, bookkeeping and systems of, you know, we have all these systems in our business, but we don't have systems of dealing with hard things. We don't have systems of grief. And so that was one of the things that, um, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about what I'm doing now, but, you know, one of the things that I really had to do was like grieve my business as it was. There was no, you know, even if I decided to go to virtual events, which was not my passion, um, I was, I had to grieve a life that I essentially had lost. And that was the truth, right? It was not going to be the same. My business was not going to be the same. Um, but I was really lucky in that I, you know, my motto this year has been get ready to stay ready. <laughs> and what I had done, you know, over the last four or five years in business is I had built a system of, uh, a system to deal with hard things, which was finding the right people to help me process um, and and learning how to be easy on myself and give myself permission to mm. do what I needed to do. And that is a system. That's not like, oh, it's some feeling thing. It's like, I have a person that I go to and I have another person that I go to to help with my relationship. And, you know, my partner and I have systems in our relationship where we talk through things when, you know, or words that, you know, systematic words that we use when we, you know, don't want to talk about something or whatever. This is, it's a system much like any system that you have in your business or your life. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of times, especially in high growth businesses or new business owners, there's a lot of reactionary reactioning. Um, and that is, and the reason that you prepare and get ready, even if you don't think you'll ever need it is so that when, you know, when the thing happens, you're not operating from, you know, as much from the react, you know, reactionary, uh, place. And so for me, like I said, we, I had the system of grief of dealing with hard things. I employed it, deployed it, I deployed it. Uh, and you know, here I am, it's oct almost October 1st and um, much better, just had a great launch and, you know, moved into in a different direction. Um, even, by, even with taking about two and a half months off. I love that. Is it worth it? Every small business owner wants to know that the money they spend on their businesses is worth it, that their investments produce results and help them grow. But if you don't know your business finances in and out, it's hard to know whether those expenses and investments are really worth it. Plenty of business owners, even the successful ones, feel like they're shooting in the dark when it comes to how they spend, save, and invest their money. Like you, they wonder if the ads they're buying, the software they're investing in, or the people they're paying are really paying off. And that's stressful. Feeling unsure about how you're spending or investing your money might be common, but it sure isn't fun. I want something different for you. I want you to feel confident that every decision you make is guided by your financial intel. I want you to be able to decide what actions to take to grow your business from a place of confidence and purpose, not panic, so that you can feel masterful at managing your money instead of inept or just plain scared. I want you to know exactly what's working so you can go all in and make your money make more money. This is what I do for business owners when I step in as their chief financial officer on demand. 
I help them parse the numbers, look for opportunities, and invest where it counts. We get clear on where they're getting in their own way and where the math just doesn't add up. And now I wanna teach you to do the same for your own business, because trust me, you can. Join me for Think Like a CFO. It's a four month accelerator, online workshop, and small group coaching program where I'll work alongside you so you can start thinking like a CFO and know that every penny you spend on your business is worth it. You'll dig into your relationship to money, put your financial data at your fingertips, and build systems of cash flow, taxes, and budgeting. I'll help you integrate your financial knowledge into your operational systems and technology so that your whole business works better. And by the end, you'll feel wildly capable with your money. Think Like a CFO is starting soon. So go to scalespark.co slash CFO to get all the information and sign up. I can't wait to work with you. So let's talk. Um, I definitely do want to talk about the thing that you launched. Let's talk about the kind of the financial part mm -hmm. of this shift, pivot, transition, the the part that's had to deal with, I'm not going to work for a couple of months. <laughs> totally. So what happened there for you? Yeah. Um, hmm, this is a really this is a good question. So I'd like to be, I, I really try to be transparent about the financial stuff. So I have been working on so in maybe year three of my business, I had, had seen some high growth. I had, uh, you know, done all kinds of, you know, networking and charged more and did the whole thing. And I still didn't feel like I was making any money. So I'd done a boot camp with a guy uh, who's local as a CFO and we spent 10 weeks together. He literally explained to me like, this is a PL and this, is, you know, the, I was three years in my business. And by the end of that, the one thing that he, I took away from it was like, it is costing you money to run a business. You can get a job and make more than what you are making now. And so you either have to love what you are doing um, enough to be burnt out uh, and stressed out about the money piece, or you need to fix something. And I don't think <laughs> that we are often that honest with ourselves around mm. what's going on in our business. And that was a real gift to me because then... Um, he, you know, he taught me the basics, which is great. You know, you can take any 12 week course, but what I started doing was really uh, going deeper into why it had taken me three years in business to really take a hard look at my financials. And a lot of that was emotions. So a lot of that was my feel, you know, how I felt about money. Um, and I think particularly for women, uh, you know, I don't love generalizations, but I think particularly for women, we are told so many things about how we are supposed to interact with and around money. And I see this a lot with my clients, my current clients, and I see this a lot in the communities that I spend time with, is um, there's there are a lot of really uh, <laughs> strongly held beliefs around money that are, you know, just really reinforced stories that are being told. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we see this a lot of times, particularly in sort of like the, the female business owning space. Um, I see this a lot with, you know, on sales pages, whenever I read someone saying like, you know, one of the objections is, let me ask my husband if I can, or my partner, generally male partner, um, if I can afford this, you know, program, uh, I always think that that is like, it's such a gut punch because I'm like, there are, you know, as if someone else, unless they are a partner in your business, <laughs> as <laughs> if they know more about business finance than you or will, you know, without being a business owner. So, um, I don't remember the original question, but <laughs> the point I'm trying to get to is 
I think we relinquish a lot of control around business finances because of the stories that we're told as women business owners. And so one of the things that I have gotten really good at is retelling those stories. And that has allowed me to both make more money, but also prepare financially for situations like this. Like this was the perfect storm. You know, we both lost our jobs. We have a more, I have a mortgage um, and it was fine. And I got to take two months off. Great. So how, how do we uh, engineer that for more women uh, to be able to be in control of their finances? Um, because they're not, you know, the stories aren't true. You're perfectly capable of understanding your money. Absolutely. And it's really interesting because when I was doing um, customer research uh, before I started Think Like a CFO, my group program, uh, I did like customer research calls with women and with men. And it was really interesting because I was kind of doing them at the same time. And I'd never really done research like this where it was all kind of happening all at once. And one of the things that was almost universal was that women especially felt really incompetent Mm -hmm. when it came to their money, when it came to their money issues. They almost universally, whether they were actually good with their money or needed to do some work, you know, whether they actually really had systems and process and that sort of thing, they still felt like crap when it came to how they were managing their money. And it was interesting because the guys, when I talked to, still felt pretty incompetent, mm-hmm. but they wanted to hire their way out of it, right? Right. So the women wanted to learn and feel competent. And I'm not sure that I, and the guys just wanted to hire somebody to make the problem. Like yeah. they didn't have that need to like make me feel competent. They were just like, yeah, this isn't my strong suit. I'll just hire somebody and it'll be fine. Right, right. And it was really interesting that it was such a, I I didn't expect that dynamic. Uh, And and now I've kind of been seeing it everywhere. That's so interesting. Um, Yeah, I'm so curious about that. Now I want to, I want to like look at your market research. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting, particularly, um, man, I think they're particularly around money there. You know, it's one of the things, especially when we talk about business, it's one of the first things that we try to outsource, right? We try to outsource bookkeeping. We try to outsource accounting. Those are like the first things that we always try to outsource. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be the first thing to outsource. But what I am saying is, um, so we are so fast to relinquish control of our money because we don't feel like we understand it. And that is not, that's simply not true. You know, it's not true. It's, it's not true. Yeah. Money is complicated, but no more complicated than like, you know, writing an email funnel. Like, you know, it's that thing. I mean, there are so many similarities. Like yeah. every time somebody's like, oh yeah, I'm super, like, I'm totally comfortable with marketing and an email funnel and figuring out the system. I'm like, you know, it's exactly the same with your money. Like we'll For just sure. change the names here on your funnel. Yeah. We'll start talking about income and expenses and profit instead of, you know, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. Yeah. And And so much of that is like we come to the table, we come to the business table with zero knowledge about, let's say, an email funnel or very like limited knowledge about an email funnel. But there's no sort of like story about what an email funnel says about you. (laughs) Whereas it's not like there's not a emotional tie to that. Yeah, there's no sort of like judgment, you know, right. And so um, there's we come to the table with so many thoughts and ideas around money. And one of the things recently that I personally have been sort of exploring is like the not only like personal finance and finance worlds at least sort of like in the in the financial advice world uh obsession with lack of debt um but also Mm. with the sort of like um 
you know, bigger picture, if you look at like large consulting firms or venture capital, like all of these companies that run, essentially like run our country, have massive debt, right? And they leverage oh, they're it. they're awful. And, they're and, awful. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they leverage it, right? In a way that, you know, I'm not saying like go out and take a bunch of debt, but I think our education around what debt looks like in the business world just needs to be more. And so if you're on the hill of like, don't have any debt, uh, you know, and this is something that I've always been on the hill, uh, you know, that's my hill that I'll die on, like no business debt. But then when I, you know, for example, like the IDL loan, like that was a 30 year loan at what, like 3%. And when I think about like, huh, it's either me closing my business or taking out a loan at 3%, like, huh, like maybe um, as a worst case scenario, that's something that I could leverage, um, which I didn't have to, but it's uh, the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that are in popular culture, I think constantly have to be evaluated, uh, particularly around money. And so um, that's where I'm at about well, debt is the story that I'm currently trying to reevaluate, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think you're right. I think every aspect of um, your business finances have nuances. Like there are yeah. nuances to the debt discussion. Right. There are times in your business where it makes sense to use debt to grow your business. There are absolutely times where that's the right choice. Yeah. And we're so tied around uh, our personal money stories, the online entrepreneur money stories, right. the hustle culture kind of stories, VC, they all play into our feelings about money. And I think a, a lot of it stems from just we don't teach financial literacy. Yeah, at all in, in, in any scenario, yeah. not personal financial literacy, not business financial literacy. But I think when you have your own business, it becomes particularly pertinent because your business finances affect your personal finances and your understanding of how those things work impact how successful your business can be. For sure. A hundred percent. And I also think that a lot of people sort of delegate, not, not only do they delegate it, but they also, um, the, the prevailing wisdom is once I make more money, then I will figure out what to do with it. Um, right. And that is, I mean, that is a, an option. <laughs> it, it's maybe not going to be the fastest path there. Yeah. And here's what I'll say, like, you know, just being in lots of masterminds and groups of people, there are people who are making a much, a, lot, a ton of money uh, who don't know what to do with it. And uh, it affects, greatly affects their businesses, greatly affects their personal lives. And that is not a judgment. It's, it's more an encouragement to say, again, like, get ready to stay ready. Like once you, wouldn't you rather like make all the money, like have a huge, great launch um, and know exactly what you're going to do with it rather than like, you know, scram, you know, buying a boat and then being like, oh, wait, I couldn't afford that or whatever. <laughs> um, and so do I you not you know, have I, a boat. I mean, yeah, I, that was, I, the first I, I, I of course have a boat. <laughs> yeah. A business, right boat. a business boat. That's what it's a it business is. boat. <laughs> deduction. Right. For my yacht trips, <laughs> my, my business yacht trips. But yeah, I mean, there, so, you know, I think business, business money, personal money, it's, it's always something to be working on. Um, and it's probably, I would say, you know, as you know, I'm sure you see lots of this with your clients, but just for me, you know, with my, my money club and like friends that I work, you know, people don't actively work on their money. Um, and you know, the, the, honestly, the advice out there for business owners is, uh, 
paltry and sad, I would say. A lot of personal finance and business or finance advice in general is focused on the W-2 employee. And um, and that is, you know, makes it really challenging to to be able to do some of this research and this work to get better at your money. Yes, absolutely. So as you were managing this whole transition and all of this grief, did your feelings around money or what you decided to invest in change at all? Yeah, for my business or personal or everything. Either. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, it's a good question. You know, I have, uh, my money personality is I like to make big, big investments um, while I can be focused on uh so one of the one of the big things I like to talk about is intentional spending um, and making sure that my spending aligns with the goals that I have for my life um, and for my business. And so one of the things that I have gotten good at, I was not always good at this, but one of the things I've gotten I have gotten very good at is um, recognizing when a decision is made out of um, fear or boredom or apathy or um, to cope versus this is moving me closer to the goal that I I want mm. to move to, and that you know, really, I really had to double down on that during the pandemic because obviously there were less dollars uh, for both personally and in business. And so I needed to be sure that every single spending decision that I was making was moving me toward my goal, uh, which at the time was not working and, you know, uh, grieving. And so again, that's why I, I employed my therapist and our couples counselor, because I was like, this is going to help us move toward the goal of moving through our grief. Um, so that on the personal side, and then, um, on the business side, you know, I really checked in with a lot of my softwares and, you know, I was selling some, you know, courses on autopilot that were bringing a little bit of income and that was all fine. Um, but the things that I really doubled down on was I uh, applied, did a lot of education, you know, so I took an email co- email course that was excellent and I finally had the time to actually focus on it and do it. Um, and just from that email course, I, you know, booked three, you know, new coaching clients in uh, August. And so you know, within a month of signing up for that, that ended up, you know, I ended up being able to make my money back immediately. And then I signed up for sort of a group mentoring program with someone that I really admire. And that was, uh, and, you know, that sort of like helped me move through this launch and it was far more successful than I thought it was going to be. Um, And so when I was, it was definitely scary because my bookkeeper said, don't spend any more money. And I was like, great. (laughs) Great. I'm going to go invest money. Fantastic. Uh, (laughs) But I knew, you know, look, your business owner skills never go away. And so I just knew now that I had an abundance of time and abundance of focus and abundance of, uh, you know, one goal was to get clear. I was like, what's going to help me get clear? And that was writing to my list every week uh, and processing in real time. And, uh, and you know, being in a group of other female business owners who were doing the same thing that I was trying to figure out where they wanted to go. And so mm-hmm. both of those investments paid off. I did have to cut my salary in half both of those months. But again, those were decisions that I was comfortable making because I knew that I could take this $1,000 for this, you know, course, uh, not course, uh, coaching program and turn it into, you know, ended up being turning it into $9,000 for this like program that I launched. Um, But I knew that I could do that, whether it was immediately or in the like near future. um, I knew that just having that support was going to be um, positive for me. Um, And so those were the decisions that I was making. So a lot of support from sort of like motivation, a motivational sense, um, and being in, you know, community with people who are, you know, trying to figure it out. Um, 
and then support in my personal life. And those were things that I knew, you know, in the short term, I had no long-term goals. I was like, short-term goal, <laughs> short-term only, get through, get through grief. And what I had to do was like, get my, get my support systems around me. So was there anything you consciously decided not to spend money on? Uh, that's a really good question. Gosh, what did we consciously not spend money on? Or specifically that you decided to, to like cut, cut costs on? Yeah, uh, I transferred my, well, I kind of did this before the pandemic. Um, I tried to systemize things a little bit more. So I tried to put softwares in place um, to, you know, just make processes a little bit easier, um, primarily payroll. Not, not this was, <laughs> this was like, <laughs> right, not that that, you know, needed to happen, you know, uh, this year. Um, but I really was like taking a look at software. This was like the first year where I was like, oh, I can't hire staff right now. Um, and I was not really hiring, you know, even though I would love to have help. I was like, it's not, uh, I'm not in a place where I, where I need to be hiring help because I don't know what I'm doing. And so I can't delegate things until I really know what the heck I'm doing. And so in that place, I opted not to spend money on one-on-one, you know, personal you know, delegation help and instead systemize things that I could like set up a tech automation to do. Mm. Um, and so again, that was like a much cheaper decision. And in my head, I was like, well, I'll do this for a little bit. But now that I've created the system, I'm like, this is amazing. Now I don't have to, you know, like when someone like pays for a coaching, pro, you know, program, it like does all the intake and onboarding automatically, um, which was, you know, a great consequence of sort of, sort of, uh, you know, having to figure out all the automations on my own. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would say, you know, sadly, I would love to employ people, but currently it's just not, I want to be able to give people a commitment. And until I sort of um, smooth out the income, uh, I really can't commit to someone. Although I feel like that's coming soon. So speaking of coming soon, tell me all about the thing that you launched. Yeah. Uh, so I had done, uh, so I feel like I have to back up a little bit. Um, so I had started this iteration of my bit. I'd started my newsletter, uh, my newsletter. That's so that's a funny word. I'd started my email list uh, in 2015. I guess it was called a newsletter then. Um, and uh, I had also launched a group of female business owners in my town where we got together and met once a month and talked about business. And that was like very revolutionary. This was at the time where I think like the wing had launched. There was a lot of like, you know, women's group type stuff. But um, I had launched that in 2015 as a small group uh, that was just kind of for free. And we met once a month, once a month. And then uh, they all really loved it and sort of was like, can I bring my friend? And I was like, I can't host 20 people in my studio apartment. It's not going to work. Um, so I ended up, you know, creating a live event out of it and selling it and it would sell out a bunch. And so it was sort of my quote unquote lead magnet at the time. I didn't know what it was. It was just an event that I was hosting. <laughs> um, and I ran it four times that year and three or four times the following year and maybe three times. And then, and then my business grew from that sort of notoriety of being that event host to the point where I didn't have time to host it anymore. And my business was sort of like taking off with, you know, with that as sort of the catalyst. Um, but I had created an email list for those people. Um, and I had been writing to them, you know, on and off for the last since 2015. And so um, this year, the one thing that I did do, even though I told myself that I wasn't going to work is I uh, wrote a weekly ish, mostly weekly newsletter to this group of people. And they, I never sold to them, rarely. I rarely sold to them because my clients were, were in tech. And they, yep. these were not the people on the list. And for years, I struggled. I was like, 
I got this list and I don't sell anything to them and I don't know what to do with it and blah, blah, blah. Like all the, you know, do I switch? Do I focus? It was just this sort of like thing that really didn't add to my business. Um, I did sell some courses to them about event planning, but certainly um, not that uh, that wasn't the audience for the, for the email list. So uh, <laughs> flash forward to 2020, July, I had like almost 3000 people, although I did do a call and now I have maybe like 1600, but I had almost 3000 people on this list from a variety of things. And uh, I took this email course. And one of the things in the email course was like, you know, pitch an offer, you know, to people, you don't have to have it like, you know, completely done, but pitch an offer to people. And, uh, you know, just see what happens. And then if they, you know, you get on a sales call with them and you see what they need. And if you can help, then, you know, you can sort of like create the offer in real time with them. And I am a big fan of that. Like, I'm just like, you know, I can help in a variety of ways, but sometimes I don't know how I can help until I can actually get on the phone with someone. Um, and so I did that. I wrote this email and I had done sort of like one-on-one -on -one coaching for a long time. I obviously talk about money all the time. And that's why people get on my list is because they want to hear someone else talk about money. Um, and that's also why people unsubscribe because sometimes they're like, that's too much <laughs> money talk. And I'm like, great, that needs to be more. Um, and so I had put it out there and I said, look, I'm doing, you know, a three month coaching. We're going to talk, we're going to evaluate the finances of your business um, in a very high touch way, mostly like, where's your money coming from? What are your average invoices? And how do we make them more than like $750 <laughs> so that you can actually pay yourself? Um, because my community is a lot of service providers who work on sort of an hourly or retainer model and, um, you know, I know you've done a, I think you've done a podcast episode on this. I just can't remember who it's, it's hard. It's challenging to do an agency model when you're one person, because there's so much time overhead in invoicing and all kinds of stuff until you really get it systemized. Um, you're wasting a ton of time doing the administrative work of, um, yes. hourly work, hourly, Almost generally uh, always you're wasting a ton of time if you're doing hourly work. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I knew that and I had switched my business to doing sort of like high level packages. Um, maybe like in 2018, 2017, I stopped doing hourly work for sure. And that's like very common in event planning is not hourly work. It's very package based. Um, and so I put it out there. I said, I'm taking four clients and I booked four clients almost immediately in probably two or three weeks. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'm onto something here. Um, and so what that led into was working with those clients over the ensuing like two months and realizing that I was essentially taking them through the same process, which was <laughs> get your mind right about money and let's talk about what it means to make more money and make a lot of money and charge, charge a lot of money. What does that mean to you? And that is usually the first hurdle. Um, it's not like the tactics behind it, but the like, no. what does it say it's about you? Getting your brain wrapped around yeah. sending an invoice for five figures. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, um, and so a lot of it was just the emotional work that I had been sort of like slowly working on. Um, but a lot of people just need someone else to give them the permission that like, A, you're not going to price yourself out of you know, it's nearly impossible to price yourself out of, um, you know, the work that you're doing. I work, you know, with service providers and, you know, particularly as someone who worked in tech, um, you know, they, the things that, you know, people pay for is, is a lot. And right. And so I have that sort of like data knowledge of what, what specific industries are willing to pay for. And now it's just me saying like, oh, you're targeting this audience. Like, yeah, for sure. They have the ability to pay you this and let's lead with that instead of leading with the the hourly work, which you can always lead into later if you want, but let's kind of make our average client value more than just, you know, a $750, you know, short 
project. Um, so that's what we work on. So it's that first, the first step is, you know, let's get our mind right about sending a $10,000 proposal. And then the second piece is, um, how are you making sure that you're delivering on the value and the expectation that they have? So it's building out that service package so that they feel good about selling it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it too. It's so fun. Oh, I mean, that's the, like, that's the part that's, I think ends up being really cool when you take a break and you suddenly realize like, wow, this thing that I didn't realize was a thing is now a thing. And I love it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, funny because I used to get off event planning calls and events is a very meeting heavy industry um, because you're trying to like herd all the cats. And so you're just trying to get people to get on the phone with you so that you can get answers from them. Um, And so I used to be so drained after all of my event calls. And now, you know, I'll have a call with a client and they'll be like, here's what I'm struggling with. And I will just ask them the questions that they need someone to ask them. And they'll be like, you know, and they'll be like, oh, well, I don't really know. I haven't had time to work on it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's work on it right now. And I will like be the receptor. They'll talk it out. I'll be the receptor. And I'll be like, okay, you just wrote your service page in an hour. We just did it after like months of them like struggling with the thing that they're, (laughs) that they're, you know, trying to work on. And it's so fun at the end of the call to get off and be like, you know, we really made a change. You know, we really did a real change to be able to like actually help you sell better, sell more, sell, you know, position yourself as an expert. And that is so gratifying because I want women to make more money specifically. Same. Same. More. <laughs> make more. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing now. And so I did, you know, four call four. I booked four clients in August, almost, you know, in a couple of weeks and then launched this process as a group process in just recently. What the heck was that? September. Um, and we start this week. And this will sort of be, so this is sort of like the, you know, when I'm thinking about what do I do, you know, I help women make more money, but then the next step is now can we figure out what to do with it in a way that's, you know, in alignment with our values. And I just Mm -hmm. think that that is like the, the big sort of gap in the, in the education of being a business owner that has a healthy business. The next step is like, okay, how do we make these financial decisions that both impact me, impact my team, um, help create jobs, you know, whatever, align with the values that I have. Um, and I always feel like programs sell you the after, the like, here's what your life can look like, but it doesn't tell you, <laughs> doesn't tell you how that, to like, make the decisions together. The making the decision part is yeah. really murky and it's really individualized and yeah. you are, you have to understand what's happening. You can't follow a framework to make financial decisions in accordance with your values because somebody else's framework is going to be totally. according yeah. to their values totally. and their business and yeah. And I see this all the time in like, you know, f- Facebook groups when people talk about money, I'm in a lot of those and yeah, just a lot of it is, well, I would never do that. And the reality is it's like, <laughs> great, great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I see a real sort of like, you know, um, I just, I remember when I was like at the very beginning of starting to make money in my business, make real money. Um, I was like hungry for trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, and I, at the time, you know, I didn't have a partner, a male partner um, or any partner. <laughs> I was alone. I was single. I didn't have a business partner. Um, and so the decision-making was firmly left up to me. And uh, I just, I wanted to know what other people were doing with their money. And there was like not really a forum to do that. And so, um I don't know. That's kind of what I am hoping there to be more of is that we all sort of have more forums to be able to to talk about money um, so that we can crowdsource 
the decision-making piece with a group of safe individuals who aren't going to be judgmental and say things like, I would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So we are just about out of time. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do? Yeah. So my website is laurencaselli.com. And I hang out the most on Instagram uh, at laurencaselli underscore. But my best stuff is in my email, which uh, I have a like a PDF for having like starting the journey to have better money conversations with your community, with your partner. Um, And that's at laurencaselli.com backslash BTC. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I always love chatting. Yeah. It's always my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. Lauren's investment in building up a cash cushion before the crisis hit had a huge impact on her being able to take some time off, see how the crisis really rolled out, and then make strategic decisions about what to do next from a calm place. And that's really what having a cash cushion or cash reserves is all about. It's about buying you time to breathe and to process so you can react calmly and strategically because no one makes good decisions when they're panicking. A cash cushion equals time and calm in a crisis. Next week, I'm talking to Alethea Fitzpatrick, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. And we're talking about how she's managed the change in her life and her business this year when her business really started to boom. So hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck. <laughs>